0: Thanks Sienna. Well if you've got a Bible, um, have it open in front of you. The, the plan was today to try to bring our own Bibles, I hope you saw the email during the week, so uh, that would be good if you can do that next week or maybe you can use your phone, something like that. I'm still recording the, um, the sermons live, uh, so now I should say. Um, so hello everyone at home. If I crack a joke at some point, can you laugh extra loud so it comes to the microphone, that'd be great. Excellent. Um, we're actually going to have a Q&A at the end as well. So we're going to start that up again. Uh, so even if we don't have any questions I'm gonna, or, or, or uh, points of encouragement, anything like that, uh, we're going to start that process. So keep that in mind. Uh, jot a note down if you like as we uh, continue on. So let's get into it. 1 Samuel 17, it's our last sermon for this little series. We've spent four weeks on one chapter. I don't think I've ever done that before, to be honest. I certainly haven't done it before with David and Goliath. So I hope you've enjoyed getting your teeth sort of stuck in a bit more to this um, great story, an epic story, isn't it? David and Goliath. It's probably the most well-known story in the Old Testament. And as I said, I hope you've enjoyed getting a bit deeper into it. Our question is, well, well then, what's, what's 1 Samuel 17 all about. Well, like, what See the problem is it's a great narrative. It's a great story. And then but the, it's easy to miss what's really going on. It's easy to get caught up in this great narrative and then you find yourself maybe missing what really the emphasis is and we don't want to get distracted. So we want to know what's really going on. We want to get the emphasis right. We don't want to end up making 1 Samuel 17 the source of anecdotes in a motivational speech. You know, um, face your Goliaths. It's all, face your Goliaths and be courageous like David, whether facing a bully at school or at work or, or uh, you know, facing any other challenge that comes your way. We don't want to end up down that path. If we do that, we're actually missing the point of the text. Now, one way to protect ourselves from such uh, deafness we could say, is to notice when the narrative talks about God. And so, no doubt, when that happens, well, that's where the emphasis lands. And sometimes, too, what helps is there's a key word. as a key word or term that helps us understand the main point of what's really going on. Now, in, this, in the case of 1 Samuel 17, there's a word, a Hebrew word, uh, that is harap. Now, if you're you really going hard on the Hebrew, you'd get it from the back of your throat and you'd really spit it out. But we're not allowed to spit anymore in church. So um, I've never read so much about spittle in, in diocesan documents. Uh, so that's why we're not singing, because when you sing, you m- more comes out. But when you say harap, there's a chance that, that the same thing could happen. So we're not going to practise it. Um, well, you can practise it at home if you like. But the word means, moving on, The word means defy or mock or deride, taunt. Now, does that ring a few bells in terms of 1 Samuel 17? Who was the person who derided or mocked, defied? Well, it was Goliath, wasn't it? The word appears in some form or another six times in the chapter. So that's a lot. Now, when the word is used in connection with this brute from gath... It helps us view him properly and not miss what's really going on. So Goliath is not merely the big monster from Philistia that Israel or David must face courageously. Goliath and his blabbering dishonours God. Dishonours God. So, let's get into this last little section. We're going we're to... Look at most of it, uh, chapter 17. I'm going to pray for us and, uh, and then we'll continue on. It'd be, as I said, it would be great if you had the Bible in front of you. Uh, for what we have in our hands, now the irony now is I've left mine down in my seat, but it's printed in my notes. But I'm going to get it for a minute. See, what we have in our hands here is, it's not just a book, is it? It's not just a stage prop. Uh, used for um, whatever other purposes. Uh, A minister friend of mine wrote in the Herald this week, the Bible is not a book to be weaponised. It's not a a talisman, a lucky charm. Uh, It's a book to be read and lived or not at all. So... Let's um, let's read it today, have it open. Uh, mine is printed in my notes, but I will have it open in a minute. And let's pray for us. Uh, Father, we, uh, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's not just a lucky charm. It's not just a, just a standard book or anything else. Uh, Lord, it is your word. And so, Lord, it's so relevant to us because you are the creator of the world. You are our saviour. Lord, you are our redeemer. And, Lord, we pray as we hear it today that you would... Uh, by your spirit, speak to us and that we would we, it would be impressed on our hearts and so that we would live our lives uh, honouring you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, we've finally come to the fight. Yes! The combat bit. Have you been waiting for that? If you've, Maybe you haven't. I've been pretty excited for it to come. Finally, we've come to the combat bit Ah, but actually, it's, there's very little of it, isn't there? Very little combat at all. It's sort of over in a flash. A, a number of um, uh, years ago, there's a guy called... Uh, uh, well, of course, you, if you follow sport at all or any... You've you probably heard of Mike Tyson, right? Mike Tyson was a very famous... He still is a famous boxer. Uh, he was... I've got a little picture of him. There he is. He's Mike Tyson winning yet another battle. Um, now, back then, and even today, if you've seen the YouTube clips, Mike Tyson was a physical force to be reckoned with. He's about in his mid-50s, I think, now, and he is an absolute beast. Uh, His nickname was Iron Mike Tyson. Now, in his heyday, when he was boxing professionally, there would be such an enormous build-up to his fights, just enormous. There was a, a media circus would follow each fight. The promoters were just as famous as the boxers. If you remember a guy called Don King? Don King had this uh, big sort of afro haircut, spiky up like that. It was pretty, yeah. It was very well known. So big venues, um, big money, and Tyson was the biggest name of all. This is early 90s, late 80s. But when the fight came, so when the bell rang for round one, it was over almost as soon as it started. Tyson landed the first bang, knockout punch. Down they went. Fighter after fighter, down they went. Now, the difference here, though, in 1 Samuel 17 with David and Goliath is that the one expected to triumph is instead defeated. The question we must ask is how and why is this possible? Was it David's courage or maybe... Uh, maybe he just got a lucky shot in. I did happen to see this. I'll just show you this little clip for a minute. Yeah, uh, hope it comes out in the video okay. Um, nope, this one's not good. And he chucks it back and then thunk, it hits the guy and hits Goliath in the head. Was it a lucky shot? I don't think so. No. Um, there Something bigger was going on. Okay, well, if you've got your outline there, you can see the first point in the outline is da- Goliath's uh, disdain. Our final scene begins with Goliath's disdain for David, for Israel, uh, for God. Day after day, Goliath's been coming out from the battle line and has been shouting in his abuse, defying God, defying Israel, mocking them. Uh, and no one has taken up his challenge. No one stepped forward to become a champion. Remember what that word meant? Uh, The the, the man of the between, between the two front lines. No one's done that from Israel except now. Now someone has. David has. So in verse 41, it tells us that Goliath moves closer and closer to David. Now maybe David was short-sighted. He couldn't see very well. Or maybe David was so small, just a little kid, that he had to get closer and closer and closer to see him. Well, maybe Goliath was just super keen for some action. Let's get along. I've been shouting and shouting. I want to kill someone. Well, step by step, they came into each other's view. Here's what Goliath saw. Look at verse 42. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He sees as man sees. And he took offence. This was an insult. The Israelites were not treating him seriously. As the warrior he is, to send out, what is it, more than a little boy? Uh, a little more than a boy, I should say. Uh, next, he thunders to David. Now, in reference to David's staff, like his, his, uh, he, which would have used for shepherding sheep and so forth, he's come out with that. But he says, am I a dog that you come up with with sticks? not showing him respect. And so he gets angry. Now, Goliath was a... He was a terrifying beast (laughs) before. Now he's cranky. Now he's really scary. And so look at verse 43. What does he do next? He curses David by his gods. Like some prize fighter, Goliath has talked a lot of trash. Trash talking and so on. But these words, the end of verse 43, are key. And they get to the heart of what's really going on in the valley of Elah. This is not just about Israel and the Philistines. This is about the gods of the Philistines versus the living God. Well, Goliath's final words were filled to the brim of arrogance. Verse 44, Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Well, what's David's response? What does he say? Have a look at verse 45. We'll read it through in a moment. See, last week it was, if you remember, if you watched the the video, last week was David's gospel for Saul, for Israel. Uh, Now, I guess we could hear, I guess we could say we're hearing David's gospel for Goliath, although, hey, it's not good news, is it? Not good news for Goliath, David's gospel, but it is the truth. So if you've got a Bible, read along with me in, in verse 45. David said to the Philistine... You come against me with a sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the gods of the armies of Israel who you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Now, David can match Goliath with a spicy speech, can't he? Hey? Certainly can. He can carry on about carcasses and wild birds, just as well as the big guy. But notice a couple of things. Notice that David how much time, how much press is given to David's speech. It's quite long. Sixty-three words in the original Hebrew as opposed to just 36 words describing the actual fight. Maybe there's something in that for us. I think there is, that fight which is all over in round one. Although we shouldn't underestimate David's use, his use of the sling and stone, slingshot. Let me demonstrate. Here's one I prepared earlier. Um, So this is actually... Tom Batty made this for me. Uh, Tom Batty is the local experts in armaments. Um, and, uh, and weaponry. So this is pretty much what he would have used, something like this, uh, that sort of leather and string and so on. And uh, David was pretty good at it. So this is his weapon of choice. And so the, the idea is that you... Uh, I'm going to stand back here so the camera can still see. You wouldn't want them to miss out on this. Uh, so you fling it around, and then you let go of one finger, and then it floats. So I've got a golf ball here. I'm going to give it a go. And uh, I think it should be fine. What do you reckon? No, I'm not going to do it. Don't worry. <laughs> Might do it outside. I will let the kids play with it afterwards. What we got here, I won't do that either. Um, but the, a golf ball is four point two centimeters in diameter, and so uh, David went and collected five stones, and they were be- probably between about six to seven, seven sen- centimeters in diameter. Why five stones? There's nothing in that, folks. It's just five stones. He wanted five cracks at it. That's all. He got it on the first go. That's how good he is. Didn't need the other four. Um, nothing more than that. Um, but the idea is that yeah, and when you when it uh, taking the golf ball out, it's quite hard, 6 or 7 centimetres and to keep it in there, that, that takes some skill, I'll see if I can do it I won't throw it, that's alright, it could go absolutely anywhere I did try it on, uh, at, at the Batty's place and it was, yeah so it's meant to sit in there which mine, I can't do it with a golf ball, anyway so as you fling it round, it releases the, uh, the stone at more, if you do it properly, at um, around 200 kilometres an hour now, if that hits you in the head, that's going to give you more, more than well, that's going to give you more than just a headache, isn't it? Anyway, so uh, I will make sure I put that away. There's no doubt some child somewhere will find that. There's a golf ball coming your way, Paul. Um, you can uh, toss that back if you like. Thank you very much. Uh, okay. David would have been pretty good at it. That was his weapon of choice. So don't discount that. Uh, that's important. But what's more important is what David declares. So have a look back at verse 46. David declares the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. The living God, the God Almighty, the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, the God that Goliath ridiculed, will show what puny powers, puny gods that Goliath serves. That's David's point. That's David's gospel for Goliath, David's faith. But the Lord declares, uh, but the Lord David declares I should say, saves not by instruments of human power or wisdom, in this case a sword or a spear, but through the weakness of his servants. Now that same point is reiterated in, in verse 50. David overcame the Philistine with sling and stone and there was no sword in David's hand. Uh, it's why he had to borrow Goliath's sword to finish the job. It's a pretty gruesome story though, isn't it? Uh, lots of head chopping and... Uh, But that's warfare in those days. The Lord gave victory, but he gave victory through what the world regarded as weakness. Now, that's a theme that's been building in this chapter, hasn't it? All the important people regarded David as weak. Remember Eliab? Uh, Eliab, well, in verse 28, Eliab says to David, you're a pain. Now, that's my translation. But little brother, go away. European uh, Saul warns David when David comes up and says, "I can do this job." Saul says, "Well, you're green. You know, you're inexperienced." Verse thirty-three, and Goliath mocks David by saying, "You're puny." Again, my translation uh, in verse forty-two, but you get the idea. Yet David is the one the Lord uses to deliver Israel, and nor does David have the right equipment. He puts aside Saul's armour and sword. Otherwise he'd just be like a king like the other nations. He didn't want to be a little mini Goliath dressed like him. He insults Goliath with his staff. And he demonstrates that God brings rescue without the symbols of human strength. Now if we keep going through our Bibles and keep reading, we're going to come across that theme time and time again. What matters not is whether you have the best weapons but whether you have the real God, that's what matters most. That's what faith is, isn't it? That's what trust in God is. In God, we have the real and living God. In fact, your inadequacy may be precisely your qualifications for serving God. For his strength shines most bright through your weaknesses. Through your shortcomings, through our frailties. As the Apostle Paul wrote, speaking of his weaknesses, and here he speaks of his thorn in his flesh. Now, we don't really know what exactly that thorn in the flesh was. It could have been a sickness, could have been a, a disability or something like that. But this is what he writes about God using him through his weaknesses. It's 2 Corinthians. Actually, I've got it up on the screen for you. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. But Jesus said to me, to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Well, let's return then. Let's return back to where we started, uh, to what I think this main point of 1 Samuel 17 is. And it's demonstrated by the use of that lovely word, (laughs) halap, something like that anyway. Remember, to mock, defy, deride, taunt. Six times it's used in the chapter. Goliath mocks the ranks of Israel in verse 10. Verse 25, Israel's troops acknowledge that he's been doing that. Um, But only David seemed to care about this mockery and derision of Israel in verse 26. For he knew that mockery of Israel is mockery of God. And now David makes this clear, not only to Saul, but he makes it clear to Goliath as well in verse 45. So it's a big theme, isn't it? Friends, that's the driving concern of the chapter. But what does it really mean? The driving concern of the chapter is God's honour. It's God's honour. That is, that his name would be hallowed as we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name. That his reputation, that his honour, that is his, his glory... David is driven by a passion for the honour of God. And as you see, knowing this keeps us from going around talking about the cleverness or bravery of David. It's not about David, it's about God. The focus of the chapter is not on David's courage, but on the Lord's power in David's weakness. And I tell you, that gives me great comfort. It ought to, to you as well. In fact, three times in the chapter, David has told us exactly that. Any interpretation that refuses to see this steals the glory from God. So we're right to focus on David, we are, and David's vision of faith in particular. However, what's David's faith? He kept his eyes fixed on the honour of the living God. That's his faith. So in this chapter, David essentially says to Israel and to us, the Lord's reputation is at stake. That matters to me, David says. That matters enough to risk my life for it. Now, friends, can we say that? Can we say that? Can you say that? Tough, isn't it? Is that our vision? Is that our point of view? What situations are there in our own day, in our own various worlds, where we see clearly God's honor is at stake? Can we say that that matters to us more than our own advantage? more than our security, more than our reputation. God's honour. Now, the reality is these questions won't be answered in great breathtaking scenes with hundreds of Philistines and, and Israelites looking on. The answer is those questions are going to be answered in our day-to-day life, just the average day-to-day. When you take exception to someone at work or school who uses God's name or the, that of his son as a punctuation mark... You step up and you say, that's offensive, not really to me, but to God. Now, they probably think you're a complete nutter. But whose honour matters? Whose honour matters? Or maybe it'll be in conversations when God's people are ridiculed and put down, mocked. And again, you step in, not because of the church's honour, but God's honour. Or perhaps it's when the word of God this week was so disrespected that it was used as a prop for political purposes. I'm encouraged by Christians across the world, even just locally, who stood up against such dishonouring of God. Let's tie a few things together, shall we? 1 Samuel 17, the promised king, David, defeats the enemy of the people. Uh, It's a great victory, wasn't it? Great victory, great story. uh, But it wasn't the greatest victory. Like David, Jesus too came in the name of the Lord. He has won a victory over sin and death that outshines David's, just as his kingship does. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians 15, 57 and 58 and let's close with these words. And I'll pray and we'll have a time of questions. 1 Corinthians 15. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. How about we pray and we'll see if there's any questions or comments. And then we'll continue on. Father, we, uh, we thank you that Jesus has won the victory over sin and death that outweighs any other victory the greatest victory at all. It means, Lord, that we can know you. It means we can trust in you and depend on you. Lord, that your honour is so important. And, Lord, as we prayed in the Lord's Prayer, we prayed, hallowed be your name. We pray, Lord, that in all our life, we would indeed uh, labour to make your honour known, to make your glory known, and um, uh, not to shrink back. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for this, this, this chapter in the Bible. Um, we thank you for David's faith. And Lord, we, um, we pray as your church that we, we would indeed honour you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.